picture a scenario that I hope will help you to understand better the truth that we're going to see in the Word of God in a few moments. So this morning, if you're going to help me out, you've got a picture that, that you folks are along with me, people that are trying to escape a terrible problem. Now, I thought I was going to do this, but I won't do that to you. I was going to have the back two rows stand up, and they were going to be a fire. <laughs> Maybe I should do that. I'll have, I'll have the, the, the back two. No, no, we, we won't have you do that, all right? But, but in our scenario this morning, I want you to imagine that behind us, here we are as, as a group, is a huge raging fire, and it's all the way across, all the way as far as we can see, a fire is raging, and it is coming our way. Now, if you can imagine that, if you can picture it in your mind, what's going on in your head right at this moment? Escape, all right? We got to get out of here. We got to do something. And I'm your fearless leader this morning. Okay. No, I'd probably be your fearful leader this morning, all right, if that were the case. But there's this huge fire that is, is raging behind us. Now, uh, this way, this direction, there's a, there's a place of safety. And... Uh, and Quite frankly, there's, there's plenty of room in this place of safety, and everyone can get there. Now, this fire is coming. There's no way we can stop it. There's nothing we can do. We're moving this direction to get there, but we come to a problem because as we get right here, we realize that we can't get to the place of safety today because there is a huge canyon. I mean, if you look down, it's about a mile down, Okay. <laughs> There's just no way we're going to be making the trek across this. So, again, you already have panic in your mind, do you not? As you think about the fires that are coming this way, that obviously are going to mean our, our lives. We're going to be history if something doesn't happen. Now, we also have this problem now because we can't get to a place that would be safe away from the flames. I mean, there's just no way we can get across this canyon, this, this cavern, or whatever, canyon, I guess we'd have to say, this big drop-off, because there is no physical way we possibly can. So the situation is hopeless. At least, as best we know, the situation is completely, totally hopeless. Now, it's not. If we can get there, there's, there's a possibility. What's going to be going through your mind if this scenario truly were taking place? If you're using your imagination in your mind, okay, probably somewhat panic. There's going to be some people in this room who are going to be saying, okay, what can we do? There's going to be other people saying, oh, we're going to die. Okay. Come on, some of you would be doing that. Um, maybe more than we could imagine if we've come to the realization, the stark realization, we can't get to the place of safety, and behind us is a raging fire that isn't going to stop. We really, you're going to all come to the time at some point where we say, we're goners. This is it. Now, there might be someone saying, I don't believe there's a fire. I don't believe there's a fire. I don't believe there's a fire. But they can say that all they want. Reality says something far different. So can you imagine the scenario? Right? That's the scenario that will help us to best understand Ephesians chapter 2. So turn there if you would, and let's look at what God has for us and what God wants to teach us in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. If you can imagine yourself there, Again, fearful the fact that there are flames coming. There's no way out as far as we know. 
You might be, again, pondering your way out. Some might be at the place of despair already. Some might just be waiting for the flames to finish the job. Some even, uh, by the way, might just say there's no hope, and they just jump off the edge of the, the, edge of the, the cliff and to fall into the canyon. There, there are just going to be people doing all sorts of different things. Some might be waiting for the flames to finish the job. Some might hope for a miracle. Eventually, there might be a time when a, there's a possibility of escape. But even the optimist, after time, is going to come to, the most positive thinker is going to come to the place, look, it does not look good. Of Ephesians chapter 2, where God says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, <laughs> that at that time, you were without Christ, <clears throat> being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, now, therefore, ye are no more strangely framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, please open our eyes to grasp and, and to understand completely and clearly what is written in this passage. Today, I pray that you would make it very clear the, the condition that we were in and the difference that Jesus Christ has made. And I ask that our time in the Word of God would be fruitful as we contemplate what you've done and what And I'll thank you for what you'll do. Please work in the hearts of those who are lost, those who know you. May it be a time of just reflection and challenge. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Four things to start with the letter R, which will walk us through the truth that's found in our text in Ephesians chapter 2. And if we're going to start right and we're going to understand everything, we have to remember. In fact, that word is actually found in verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh. You've got to understand some things if you're going to understand what God has done. He's going to share with us a wonderful truth of what Jesus has accomplished, what his son has provided. The scenario that I gave you was a fairly accurate scenario this morning as far as all mankind is concerned. There is a raging fire. If
And those fires will consume everyone someday because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Physical death comes upon all men. There is a day when everyone will head into eternity. And the truth of the matter is when death comes, there are one of two destinations that someone can go to according to the Bible, a place called hell, which is true and real, and a place called heaven. God wants everyone in heaven. If in our scenario we were picturing it, it'd be the place of safety where God dwells. He wants everyone to be there, but there's a cavern that keeps us from getting there. There's no way on our own we can get there, and that is the remembrance, that is the picture that he ultimately is trying to give us in Ephesians chapter 2 as he explains, this is what you are. So he's talking to Christians in this passage. Understand that. And he wants believers to understand something at the start. This is what you were. Understand what God has done for you. Understand what God has accomplished. Everyone is in the same state. Everyone is hopeless as far as, uh, as, far as eternal life is concerned. And the only hope is found in what God has provided in Jesus Christ. So remember is the challenge of verses 11 and, in verse, and, and verse 12 at the beginning of our passage. But notice, if you would, how it starts. It doesn't start with the word remember. It starts with the word wherefore. So there's two things about remembering. First, God wants you to remember why you're here. God wants you to remember why you're here. Now, I'm not going to preach verses 1 to 10. Again, we just preached that a couple weeks ago, all right? And we're not going to seek to go back through and talk about the grace of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, and for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A tremendous message. I said I'm not going to preach it all again, but I just preached it very, 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 very briefly, okay? The conclusion is in verse 10, is that God saves people by grace. There's nothing they can do. They were dead in trespasses and sins. They had no hope, verses 1, 2, and 3, verse four and on through the end, but God, here's what he did. Verse 10 is, he saved people for a reason. Why did God save you? What do you need to remember? God saved you to do good works. He saved you to change your life. He saved you to make you different. God doesn't want people to just get saved and go on their way and say, wow, I'm going to heaven now. God saves people to change people so that people can begin because of the change that God brings, not only making them part of the family of God, but the Spirit of God, which we're going to see brought into the passage here in Ephesians chapter 2, that comes to indwell, enables and empowers us to now live life to the glory of God. And that's what he expects from us. And we have to remember that if we're going to understand the rest of the passage. That's what God has called everyone who's saved too. If you're part of the family of God, if you've been saved by grace through faith, if you have, if there was a time in your life where you realized you were a sinner, Christ died for your sins, he provided the way for you to have eternal life, and he made you part of Two, 
verses 1 to 10, he basically did the same thing that he's going to do now. In verses 11 and 12, he starts to talk about, like he did at the beginning of chapter 2, about the condition these people were in. In verses 1, 2, and 3, he said, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And he gave this dismal picture. He gave this picture of, if you would, a fire behind you, a cavern in front of you. But then remember also what you were like and what God did for you. And he describes that in these verses. So let's look at some of the things he says in verses 11 and 12. Not only remember why you're here, but remember uh, where you were. Notice in verse 11, he says, Wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ. Now, kind of have to explain what's going on, a little bit at least. He is taking some time to talk about two different types of people in this world, two different races. Well, yeah, we have the Jew and everyone else, Gentile. I asked the question, I think it was last week or whatever, I said, are there any Jews in our, in our church this morning? And I don't think there were any in the service. So he just said, you are all Gentiles, okay? Well, as he was writing to the church at Ephesus, that would have been true, at least for a great number, if not probably most of the people in the, in the churches at Ephesus that he was writing to. And he was trying to explain that, look, the Jews had a, if you would, a special relationship with God that they were very proud of. God had given them his word. God had made a covenant with the children of Israel. God had and held the Jews in a special place. And quite honestly, in the Old Testament, except for a few exceptions, those who were saved were Jews. Salvation was pretty much of the Jews. And it was, it was tied basically to that. Now, in the New Testament, salvation is opened up to all men so that now Gentiles and Jews alike can be saved. But they didn't understand exactly what had happened. So in verses 11 and 12, he talks about two races of people, the Jews and the Gentile, the Jewish world and the Gentile world. And he talks about how God, Jesus Christ, brought them both together through his work on the cross. He also talks about how God took people who were sinners, Jews and Gentiles, both groups, and made them part of his family. And that's the emphasis and focus we're going to focus on today because that is really truly the focus of the passage. But it also will talk about how people can get along in unity in this passage. So in verses 11 and 12, he compares the two and he says, all right, Jews and Gentiles, Truth is, you were both lost. You were all in. You had the flame coming this way. You had the cavern this way, and you couldn't get to this place of safety. There was no way. Why? Well, it says in verse 11, you were estranged from, or verse 12, you were estranged from God. For the Gentile, they weren't part of the circumcision. They didn't have an opportunity to even have a relationship with God. They, they ultimately, in many cases, had really no hope at all. Now, there were some exceptions, weren't there? Rahab, uh, you can think of, of Ruth, the Moabitess. There were some people in the Old Testament that got saved who weren't Jews, but generally these people missed out, and that's how God describes all those who are outside of Jesus Christ. You were estranged from God. 
You didn't have an opportunity, didn't even have a chance to have an opportunity with God because you were estranged from him. Verse 12, again, says you were without Jesus Christ. Look, God did this work of grace to make you a vessel fit to glorify him. You were, though, before that, without Jesus Christ. You missed the vital element necessary to bring you in a right relationship with God. If we use that opening illustration, you were here, and you couldn't get there, and someone got you there. You know who it is? Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, you're still here. The only hope for getting up there is Jesus Christ. And he says, to, to make it really clear and to kind of make you feel bad, you got to feel bad before you can feel good in this passage. You got to understand that you are without Christ. And if you're without Christ, you are lost. In fact, God is very clear about that. In 1 John chapter 5, he said this in these words, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. He can't make it any clearer than that. If you have Jesus Christ, you have life. But the Bible says in verse 11, at least the people before they're saved, they were without Jesus Christ. In fact, they were, if you were aliens from the, the commonwealth of Israel, you say, what is that? Well, they were, they were, if you want to say, strangers from the covenants of promise, they were foreigners. Now, the Jews weren't foreign to God's word or his truth because they were part of the chosen people, but Gentiles were foreigners to this life. There was no way that they could, they could partake of it. There's no way they could even know the things that were involved in it because before Jesus Christ came, there just wasn't preaching that was done to the Gentiles. There wasn't a word of God to tell them. And quite frankly, uh, it was a dismal situation for someone that was outside of Christ. And quite honestly, that's where God puts all of us this morning as well. And we have to remember that. You know, sometimes people in Christianity get big heads. And, and I, you know, they do. Sometimes we forget that every one of us is there. We're without Christ. We were foreigners as far as a relationship with God. In verse 12, he says, you had no promise of blessing. The Old Testament covenant made with Abraham wasn't mine. It was the privilege of the Jew, and they had an opportunity to enjoy a relationship with God. Do you know what? They forsook that. And quite honestly, they're in the same place as we all are, and we all were. There was no promise of blessing. Look, if you would, at verse 12, because you come to the end. And look at this phrase, having no hope. Oh, say those three words and let them sink in. Think about it, all right? Having no hope. Now say it like you really understand it. Having no hope. If you imagine the scenario this morning, flames behind us, canyon before us, the only place of safety there, the flames are coming, there's no way out. If you can grasp that, you can grasp the picture he's trying to give you in these verses. No hope. I got to tell you, I've never been there. 
but I, I understand from things like 9-11 when I, I saw pictures of people jumping out of the Twin Towers, taking their own lives because they said, in essence, there's no hope, we're going to die anyway. So why not just end it all? And there were people who broke open windows, people who opened windows that were available and jumped stories and stories to their death because they said, we're going to die in here. There's no way out. And that, my friends, is the dismal picture verses, verse 11 and 12 gives every Christian to remember. And you know, it's important that we remember that. Because sometimes in Christianity, we, we, we start to think, wow, I'm important, and I'm special, and I'm wonderful. Do you know a lot of preachers today preach that kind of message? You were so wonderful that God saved you. And you know what God said? You were without hope. You weren't wonderful. You weren't tremendous. You weren't great. It's all right. And by the way, I'm, I'm not preaching it to you. I'm, I'm preaching it myself because I'm in this crowd. There wasn't anything about you. That God said, oh, you are so valuable to me. You weren't. You're just one of billions. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was God who just chose to love the world. He said, I'm going to provide a way for people who have no hope. And that, my friends, is what we need to remember if we're going to appreciate what he shares in the verses to come. Remember this. Look, this is where you're at. You were without, you had no hope. And then the last phrase drives home the, that truth even, even further. He says, you were without God. People talk, well, well God is our Father. No. Lost people are born sinners without God. They have no relationship with God. And they can't have a relationship with God unless someone does something. And that, my friends, is the, the, the start of a wonderful truth. But the fact is, most people don't understand this, verses 11 and 12. So they don't appreciate verses 13 and on through the end. And so, remember is the first word. But I, it's not a dismal message. It really isn't. The second R is rejoice. There is a total change in attitude in verse 13. Do, do you see that? It is, it is tremendous. It is a stark difference when he says, but now... In Christ Jesus. Look, I can't emphasize it enough. Go back, if you would, to the beginning of this chapter. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Give us the same idea as verses 11 and 12. Dead in trespasses and sins. Hopeless. You are dying and headed for a Christless eternity, and you couldn't change anything about it. And what does verse 4 tell you? But God. There is someone who made a difference. And so we have the very same picture again, driving home the second time in the same chapter, this thought, but now in Christ Jesus, 
ye who were sometimes who sometimes were afar off are made nigh. Not because you're wonderful. Not because God said, oh, look at those Gentiles out there at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. Man, are they special. It's because, because God is special. Because God chose to love the world, God sent his only begotten son. And his son said, I'm going to make a way so that you people who were not nigh, you couldn't get here, could get here. And therein, this morning, we need to rejoice. We need to see the great contrast at the beginning of this verse and understand that there's a dismal picture, but God did something about it. And I don't know about you, I have a hard time because I can't. I, as I said, I've seen 9-11 videos and, and, and pictures, and in my mind, I can't even fathom being in a position like that. But this morning, if I'm going to understand what Jesus has done, then I have got to come to grips with the reality that I was without hope and I couldn't change my situation, and I was in dismal condition, and I was without God when God did something for me. And anyone who grasped that would rejoice, who comes to that realization. It's, it's this way. Can I, Brother Castle, I know you're, I know you're 50. I'm sorry. I know you celebrated a milestone birthday. You didn't hear that. Can you put your daughter aside and help me out for a minute? Okay, I'm going to count on your muscle this morning. You're going to help me out too. I just closed your Bible. Come on, all right? You and I, we're in bad shape, okay? Terrible situation. You're up there. You're up, no, you're up there. Not because you're special, but because you're, you're, playing, you're playing a role. Yeah. That, that you didn't deserve. Okay, all right. <laughs> I didn't either, all right? We're in dismal shape. You understand that? We got the fire behind us. We got a cavern here. There is no possibility. Of, there's no hope at all whatsoever, okay? I'm playing another role now here. I, I just came out of that, okay? No, I'm, I'm God, the Father. You're my son. And before the foundation of the world, we came up with a conclusion. A man is going to sin. There's going to be a way to take care of this. And you said you'd be willing to, to die. So you did that. You were buried, and you rose again the third day. And now you offer to all people who want it an opportunity of escape. So help me out. Do you want that escape? All right. In order to have that escape, then, you have to be willing to trust someone, don't you? So I'm going to ask you if you would be willing to take him on your back and bring him to that place of safety. <laughs> you can put him down because he's there now. He's in that place of safety. Why are you in that place of safety? Did, did you do anything? Okay. It was, it was Jesus who provided the way. You, you know, you needed that as well. You needed that as well. Do, do you want it? Do, do you want that, that free gift? Okay, then you have to be willing to trust him. Would you do that? Would you trust him to get you there? Would you do that? 
All right, then trust him to get you there. Can you, would you get on his back? Uh, I'm not trying to embarrass you this morning. Gonna walk him up? All right, help him up. Oh, that's all right. If she's, she'd rather not do it, that's fine. That's fine. Do I got another, do I have another volunteer in the family? Oh, he'll do it. He'll trust you. <laughs> there we go. Thank, all right, all right. <laughs> but he won't go down. He's gonna stay there. Okay, um, let, let's see. All right, Brother Day, no. <laughs> we don't do it. All right, thank you very much. You, 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 you get the idea, don't you? All right, but, but God, but, but Christ, but now Christ. He's provided a way for, for men and women, whoever it might be, to be at peace with God. And that's what God did if you've been saved. Rejoice. Rejoice. That is the message in, this, in these verses. The great conqueror, Jesus the Christ, took people who were far off and made them nigh. And the way he did it, if you see in verse 13, was by the blood of Christ. If we can grasp the scenario that we were, we've been talking about this morning in, the whole, in our whole time, if we can grasp this scenario, there are a lot of people today, there are churches who teach their, their some will teach there's eight or six or ten different things that you got to do in order to have salvation. That's not the teaching of this passage. There's a, there's a church, a worldwide church that has been around since very early in, in church history, uh, the Catholic Church, that talks about sacraments and tells you that people get grace by different things that they do, whether that's, that's uh, say some prayer to Mary or whether that is participate in the, the Eucharist, communion, or whether that is even marriage is one of the sacraments that's part of the church. And they say that God gives grace through those things, and that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches no hope one way, and nothing we can do but a God who did everything. And so we are just confronted with that powerful truth we see that the great conqueror died for sin and provided that way, and it came at a great cost, his blood. And then you notice in verse 14, for he is our peace. The third word is reconciliation, or if you want to say reality, that's fine. Reconciliation is going to be brought into, and we're going to find it in the text in a few verses. But he says, first of all, Jesus is our peace. Jesus doesn't just give peace. He is peace. He's the prince of peace. He has peace to give. No one could be at peace with God. We were here. God was there. No one could be at peace with God, and God provided a way for sin to be cared for so that men could be at peace with God. He is our peace. He doesn't provide peace. He doesn't just give peace, although he does give peace to those who, who pray and, uh, that are part of his family. And although he does work in the matter of peace in our heart and life, and he keeps us in perfect peace, 
But the peace we're talking about is peace with God and being made right in a relationship with him. And Jesus Christ is that peace. All right, so young man, you wouldn't have been there, right? Unless the peace, the Prince of Peace was your peace. Do you understand that? He was the one who made the difference. And so is the truth brought out in this passage. Jesus is our peace. Uh, Verse 14, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle of partition between us. And this is an amazing thing too. All right, so here we have people, hopeless. Jesus makes the difference. He makes them part of the family of God. He, He becomes our peace. He is our peace so that we can be made in a right relationship with God. But an amazing thing also happened. No longer is the family of God Jews, and then we got this Gentile group. You see, Jesus Christ broke down that as well. Hey, listen, you don't need a government taking care of anything in racial relations. The answer is people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and understanding that Jesus Christ broke those walls down. We don't have black and white in Christianity. You don't have Jew and Gentile in Christianity. You don't have German and, 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 and English. You don't, have, you don't have different nationalities. You have people in Christ. There is no racial segregation in God's Christianity. All men are saved the same way. There's no color skin that's different. We're all saved the same way. We're all sinners saved by grace through faith. And that is the work that Jesus did. He not only made us part of his family so we could be part and and at peace with God, with himself, but he also provided a way so that we could be at peace with one another. As we stop looking at persons, people being Jews and Gentiles, stop looking at people being black and white, and we see people as people who were sinners who were saved by God's grace and who are now part of the same family. Isn't that a wonderful truth? And that was all made because possible because someone reconciled us. Jesus is our peace, and he provides reconciliation. Verse 15, he abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both. See, both need to be reconciled with God. That's the picture given here. So the Jew needed to be saved, Gentile needed to be saved. And they're all saved the same way, by trusting in Jesus Christ, by the cross. And he slew the enmity that came between us and God. And he came and he preached peace to the Gentiles who were far off, to them that were nigh, they were both lost, they both needed Jesus Christ. And it's through him, Jesus Christ, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. Jesus is our peace. He provides for reconciliation with God. And that is a work that God has done. And my friends, that is the challenge of this passage. To remember, remember what you were, to rejoice in what Jesus Christ has done and understand that he reconciled you with God when you couldn't reconcile yourself. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful salvation. So the fourth R is relationship. Starting in verse 18, God said that he gave me access unto the Father. This is an amazing thought. 
By the way, here we deal with another false teaching in, in a church. And I know we've already brought up names that don't always strive to do that. But this, a, a church that tells us we got to go and we've got to pray to, we got to pray to saints. We've got to pray to people who have died. And that those people somehow are going to bring us help. And somehow they're going to aid us in getting to the Father. But no, you know, Jesus Christ gave me access. You know, you know I, I talked to the Father this morning. Did you know that? And it's not because I'm anything special. It's because Jesus Christ gave me access. Because Jesus Christ provided the way so that I could be reconciled with God so that now I can come to the Father and I can make my request known. And he, I can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy to help in time of need because, because he's my Father now. Access was made possible. I have a relationship with God. Um. In the Old Testament story of Esther and, uh, and Mordecai, you, you, know, you know the story how that the Jews were going to be killed and Mordecai was, um, well, Esther was, uh, uh, no, Mordecai was her uncle. And Mordecai appealed to Esther who had been made queen to go in before the king. Do you remember the story? Okay. Esther was concerned and there was a reason why. And that day, the king didn't hold out a scepter to someone who came in the room. It was like a death sentence, okay? And it all depended upon the whim of the king. You do understand that. I don't know about you, but I'd be a little bit scared about going into a guy if I knew that if he didn't hold out this scepter to me, um, then the next thing I was going to I knew that I was going to be out, you know, firing, well, they didn't have firing squads then, but, you know, it was going to be over for me, curtains. My life was going to be over. Esther was greatly concerned. She asked Mordecai to pray. She agreed to finally go in. At the set time, she did. And what happened? What happened when Esther went in? King held out the scepter. Okay, and if we wanted to picture the scenario, I know this wasn't intended in the, in the passage, but if we want to picture the scenario, Jesus was the scepter that was lifted out. And, and he gave me then the right, like Esther had the right, to come in and make my petition and talk, talk with the Father and have a relationship with him that I couldn't have before I was saved. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful Savior. We really do have too much preaching today talking about how wonderful people are when the Bible says how wonderful God is. And quite frankly, how bad people are. So if it weren't for him, this would not be possible. Access is made possible. And if you look at it in verse 19, look at the wonderful encouragement. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Often, when someone gets saved, vacation Bible time, we had a couple of young people get saved. And one of the things that they'll what people will do if they've talked to someone that trusted Christ, they'll have them come and they'll tell the, the preacher. It scares them to death, you know. Preacher, you can't talk to the preacher. Ooh. Okay. So, so here's this, this, um, this little girl. Um, I can't think of her. It's scary. What? Natalie, who got saved. And uh, Shannon brought Natalie to me. And, and Natalie told me she trusted Christ as her Savior. It's wonderful to see when someone 
understands the gospel and comes to faith in Christ, and children can, so don't ever think they can't. So here's this young girl that just got saved, and one of the things I almost always do, and I did on that day, is I said, do you know what happened? Not only did you get saved, but you know what? We became part of the same family, and I think that's a wonderful thing. So I said, you know what? You and I, we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thought. So here's this little girl now who's part of the family of God, and, and she and I, we're, we're part of the same family now. We're citizens. Not because either of us are great, but because Jesus is great. Because he's the one who made us citizens in this new family. And so we're part of the same family the family of God, fellow citizens. And again, there's no racial divide in the family of God. It's not we got, we got a, a black church, we got a white church, we got this, we got that. No. We're fellow citizens in the family of God. And then he closes out in verses 20, 21, and 22. And, and this could be a message in itself, there's a lot to explain, but we're not going to do that this morning. He just basically tells us we're part of a building. So not only do we have the opening scenario, but we also have the scenario of a building built on the foundation of what? You know, this is interesting. The foundation is the apostles. You say, what? That doesn't even make sense. Well, it does make sense. Let, let me explain it and help you understand it. When he says he's built upon the foundation of the apostles, the apostles were the first ones at the start of the church who preached the gospel and people got saved and people became part of the family of God. And it was upon the apostles' teaching that people were founded in and started to understand about this new family that we're part of, the family of God, this new building that we're part of. So it was the teaching of, and it was, Peter, you say, Peter was the first pope. No, that's ridiculous. That is not what the verse is teaching when it talks about Peter uh, be, having the keys to the kingdom. No, Peter and James and John and all the other apostles became the foundational people who helped everyone understand the teachings of Jesus Christ that they had learned from his lips. And so he, they could tell these people, we learned from Jesus Christ this truth and this is, what the, this is the church and this is what it's all about. And that foundation helped all those in Jesus Christ to understand we're part of the same family now. Jesus Christ is the head cornerstone. Without Jesus Christ, the whole building falls apart. Foundation is no good without Jesus as the cornerstone. And that is what we have in this passage. We're all part of this building, and everyone then who is saved is part of this building. You're, you're a brick in this building. You're a block in this building. You're a rock in this building. You're just a rock, Okay. But that is the picture, the scenario he gives in verse 20, 21, and 22. Not to treat not to, you, you're a bunch of dumb rocks. But to give us this wonderful picture that God, from the time when the, the, the church was started, has been building a beautiful temple to himself. And we're part of that. And everyone that gets saved is just a, another block that fits in perfectly with the building that God has been making since Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. 
And it's a wonderful thing to be part of that. And it wasn't something, it's, it's not like I said, put me there. And look at how big I am. Look at my rocks bigger than your rocks. Nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with the, the cornerstone and the truth that laid these things out, taught by Jesus Christ, and the work that he did when he saved us. And now we have a relationship with God. And those are the four R's. And I said, provide for this message. You say, well, you're done. No, I have one more R. You say, wait a second. Four R's get us through the passage. That's right. Four R's get us through the passage. But there's one last R you've got to understand, and that's your response. Because it's a big deal to say, okay, I understand these things. But it's another thing to respond to the truth that we find in this passage. And I hope you've kind of heard the message already. You should have because we just walked through it. And we explained in those four hours what, this, what these verses are all about. But there is a response. Wherefore, in verse 11, remember, points us back and says this, look, you were made to live for God. If you understood the scenario at the beginning and understand how Jesus Christ in our illustration provided the only way for us to have access and be made part of the family, and now we're part of this building that God has made. If you understand and grasp that, and you understand it's nothing that I've done, it's everything he's done, then the response really needs to be this, Lord God, I'm going to walk in good works. That's my attitude. Lord, right now, I, I wanna, I, my attitude is I want to walk with you, and I want to fulfill that which you saved me for. I got a job. That's why you saved me. I'm part of this building now. So let me let me let me shine as a as a rock in that building and fulfill my calling. And it is it is tragic. How many Christians, how many people have been saved today who are living for themselves? It is impossible for us to come to this passage and understand this truth, really grasp it, without saying, Lord God, you deserve everything. Here am I. If you can, you, you, you don't have, a, you don't have a, a, a reasonable mind. And I don't mean that to be unkind. Anyone with a reasonable mind has to come to the conclusion, God, you deserve my very best. And that this morning should be the response of every Christian in this room. This passage was written to Christians. Lord God, you saved me for good works, and you've done so much. This is what you did. Work. A second response is to walk with God's people. Now, I, honestly, I, I, I am so thankful for the attitudes here amongst God's people. There's, there's been a sweet spirit in our church for, for a long time, and it is not because the preachers are great. <laughs> it's certainly not that. You know that, and you can say amen. That's one of the times you can say amen. It's, it's not because, uh, and, and so I'm going to tell you, it's not because the people are great either. It's, it's because God is great, and he's made all the difference in the world. And, and, and we have a number of people who are striving to, walk with God, 
And when we walk in the light, it sees in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And there is a sweet fellowship here, and I'm thankful for it, and I rejoice in that. And whether you're a guest here or not, there is a sweet fellowship amongst God's people that we're very, very thankful for. And it's not our work. It's Jesus Christ. It really is. And you need to understand that. And what this passage reminds us of is, is, is that's what it's all about. That's what's supposed to be going on. We're, we're, we're just, it, it's, not, it's not the Pastor Schwanky show. It's not the Deacon Farrington hour. It's, um, we're part of the family of God. We need to walk together, earnestly contending for the faith. God's people because God saved us and he did that work already. So let's live that way. It's a response to this passage. The third uh, response, we've already emphasized worship. If you can, if you are part of the family of God and you can leave today not saying, God, you are so wonderful for what you've done. Then I also say there's something wrong. There really is. If There should not be a Christian in this room who doesn't just get on their knees, honestly, sometime today, and thank God that he took you from there to hear. You don't have to worry about the fires of hell. You don't have to worry about the battles of racism. He took care of all that. So worship him. Walk. Um, good works. Worship. That, my friends, is a response we should have. And it's an appropriate R that needs to be mentioned. If you're here and you never accepted Christ, the passage was not written to you. But I want you to know, as I was at one time, you're here today if you have never been saved. And the only way for you to be saved is for you to believe Jesus took your place, paid the price, and you trust him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He'll do that for you today. He wants to do that for you today. But you need that message. And you need him because he's the only hope of eternal life. With heads bowed and eyes closed.